gentlemen this is no budget wow fuck me <laughs> god i feel like it's been forever since i've actually done one of these only 99 episodes mo it's no reason yeah. that you should have it this nailed down yeah right right <laughs> all right let's try let's try this again <clears throat> good evening ladies and gentlemen welcome to no budget nightmares this is mo he's a bad film hating while i skating all the while masturbating that's, that's mo pawn yeah, yeah. And with me, as always, is the one and only Doug Tilly. He's Doug Tilly, number one super guy. Mo, Boo. you miss 100% of the shots that you never take. I hear Abraham Lincoln said that. At least that's what I saw on the internet. That is a quote, Mo, from the great Wayne Gretzky. Who <laughs> I was... like Michael Scott's version of that <laughs> quote. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky. Up here, in, Scott. Up here Mo, in the Great White North, uh-huh. Wayne Gretzky is also known as number 99. That was you know funny story about that. My uh my that was my nickname in the Boy Scouts when I was when I was a scout. 99? They, yeah, they used to call me number 99 because they thought I would make a, an excellent football player. How wrong were they? Why? Uh, why does what does ninety nine have to do with football? I have no fucking clue. Mm. That was just that's just what they called me. Number ninety nine. When when I uh, envisioned this beginning, where I said that quote and then transitioned into Wayne Gretzky being number ninety nine, I imagined it being much smoother, Mo, than this ended up being, <laughs> because this is episode number ninety nine of No Budget Nightmares, the mm-hmm. podcast that you and I host. Wait, we host a podcast since two thousand. What year was it? Eleven. It's almost yeah. been Mo. Six full years, 99 episodes. Really, you know, what a long, strange, unlistenable trip it's been. <laughs> <laughs> but we're here. We're, we're, we're here for good. Uh, or we're at least... queer. We don't want any more bears. <laughs> we're here until we get sick of it. But this is episode number 99, Mo, which is, you know, look, everyone can get excited about number 100. But me, I'm getting kind of the... Anxiety around number ninety nine simply because it's on the edge, on the cusp of of something legendary, something great. So does that mean like episode one hundred and one, we're going to be all loosey goosey and yeah, all the tension will be released? That's right. I have, a, I, I have a feeling, given both of our personalities, that is absolutely not going to be the case. We're uptight people, Mo. Um, <laughs> we, we're a little anxious. Yes, we should start this episode uh, aside like from mentioning Papa Xanax. <laughs> Aside from mentioning that it's episode number 99, by explaining, Mo, why uh, people haven't been hearing us lately 
on the No Budget Nightmares podcast. We took one of our trademark sabbaticals. (laughs) (laughs) This time, uh, in fact, if you listen to the most recent episode, uh, there were some hints as to what was to come. I believe we mentioned uh, during our discussion, Mo, that you were likely to be blown off the face of the earth. (laughs) Yeah, thankfully I wasn't. Actually, the uh, the damage here, uh, thanks to Irma, wasn't that bad. I just lost, lost power for a week. And that sucked. Uh, Mo, correct me if I'm wrong, but I read that it was the collective power of prayer that stopped <laughs> that stopped Florida from being destroyed by this massive uh, uh, incident of weather. Is this is this true? Is that what you've been reading? Actually, that's not true at all. Uh, what happened was uh, a whole bunch of us went down to uh, went down to Daytona Beach and did Kamehameha waves ah. at the at the hurricane, and it stopped right th- right dead in its tracks. And and you survived, Mo. You're in one piece. You were without power for a very extended period of time. Yeah, yeah. We yeah we were we were out of power. We lost power Sunday, uh, the day of the storm, and got it back the following Saturday. And that was like you know, and, and we had and like that week was like a heat wave. So it was it was not fun whatsoever. Um, and I, the one thing I did learn, I mean, I kind of knew it already, but the one thing I truly learned was that my nieces and nephews do not know how to cope with boredom very sure, well. Right. So, so, uh, you know, I actually finished, uh, two whole books the, <laughs> the entire, the entire time I was without power. And I was very thankful for the days that I had to work. Kama Sutra volume one and two. No, no, no. I finished, um, I finished the second to last Artemis Fowl book because oh. I've been working on I've been working on those for a while. So I got one left of those to do. And then I started this series called it's called the Duck and Cover series. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Sounds but familiar. the first the first book is called Post Apocalyptic Nomadic Warriors. Oh. And it's supposed to be funny. I just never I mean, I probably won't continue the series, to be honest, because I didn't really particularly care for the first book, but uh I finished it. I think, though, this might be the first episode of No Budget Nightmares that starts with a discussion of literature. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. (laughs) But that's what happens when you lose power. Look, once once that big orange dickhead in the White House (laughs) destroys the (laughs) earth with his numb-nuttedness, we're Mm. all going to be without power permanently. So we better get used to reading. Isn't that right, Mo? It's true. A lot of, a lot of, little bit of political content here. Yeah, they're probably going to burn the books first anyway. So, well, all the good ones at the very least. Right, right. No budget nightmares, Mo. Episode number ninety nine. The folks, the listeners, our audience has been waiting for us to talk about Wood Chipper Massacre. They're probably also very interested in about what's what's in store for episode one hundred. Well, if you want to know what's in store, we'll hint a little bit at the end of this episode, but we're not going to show our hand. You know why, Mo? Because it's a fucking secret. It's a secret, and we want people to show up. We want people to listen. I will say that uh, gotta put asses in the seats. That's right. That's right. That's right. I will say that in the time between the last episode and this one, Mo and I have been uh, beating the streets and uh, hitting up some people to uh, get some contributions to the hundredth episode. And we have a lot of really exciting stuff. Surprises from yeah, honestly, there are surprises from top to bottom on that episode. We've actually been way more successful than I even expected us to be for that because I think the original plan was we were going to have like three people, and then we're like, well, let's make it four, and like it came together so easily <laughs> that we're like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, again, we we have to stop talking about it now because we'll talk about it later. But yeah, right, we'll we'll, uh, we'll because we're not going to announce. 
the centerpiece of episode 100. We'll talk a little nope. bit about, about it at the end of this episode. The topic at hand, Mo, mm. is the movie Wood Chipper Massacre from the year, the great year, 1988, directed by John McBride. And uh, longtime listeners probably know John as the director of Cannibal Campout, also one of the stars of that movie, which we featured way back in episode. <laughs> <laughs> I should really have the episode number in front of me, but I can't remember. But a very long time ago, we covered Woodchipper Massacre. You, you should do like one of those, like a like a Simpsons there, and just be like, uh, in episode fifty two. <laughs> <laughs> Keep talking, Mo. I'm actually going to find out what it is. Oh God, no! Um, honestly, every time I, I look at this this the name of this movie, I just want to sing it in a Ramon style. You know, episode Massacre. Yeah, me too. Episode number 37. <laughs> 37. Wow. That was a long time ago. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Uh, but, uh, but yes, we haven't covered a John McBride film since episode number 37 of Nobody Nightmares, but we've returned with Wood Chipper Massacre. I would say, Mo, that Wood Chipper Massacre is a very, very different kind of movie than Cannibal Campout. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, whether you like it more or less, that might be based on personal preference. But I will say that there's a lot less plot happening in Woodchipper Massacre. Yeah, and it's like, and I was telling you, I was saying this to you before. It's surprisingly like wholesome. Yeah, it's right. It's almost like a kids movie. There's really yeah. Until we look, it's hard. It's hard to be too kid friendly if you're called Woodchipper Massacre, but. Even the title is sort of kind of overblown on purpose. There's very, very little death in this movie. The The violence in it is not very explicit at all. And most of the characters are young people, like barely pubescent people. Mm. 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 And of course, John McBride himself. Barely pubescent. <laughs> <laughs> Playing the least responsible college student there's ever been. <laughs> Mo. The film Woodchipper Massacre begins with a disclaimer, very important disclaimer, <laughs> that says... Actually, why don't you read it out, Mo? You have a great... Oh, oh fuck you. You know I don't have that written well, down. Well, I have it written down. <laughs> I wrote, like, the first, like, half of the first line and then just wrote blah, blah, blah. <laughs> See, this is one of the advantages of uh, being uh, doing transcription for a living. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Mo, this year, over 75,000 people were killed by family members in the United States. One in ten of these murders are never solved and written off as unexplained disappearances due to the fact that bodies are never found and disposed of in most ingenious ways. I don't think that last bit is necessarily true. They probably just, like, throw them in a river or something. <laughs> but it does uh, it does set up by then saying, this is one such story. That we know, at this point, Mo, right from the beginning, there's going to be a wood chipper involved here. Now... Mo, when you think of a wood chipper being used as some sort of murder device, what what do you think of? Of a wood ch- Oh, uh, Fargo. Fargo, right? So I, I like to think that Fargo was uh, directly influenced by Wood Chipper Massacre. I wouldn't be surprised um, if both of these... Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had something to say, but I had a lung full of vape at the time. <laughs> Um, I wouldn't be surprised if if both of these are directly influenced by the same story, because you know the woodchipper scene in Fargo is is related to the woodchipper killings that happened uh, oddly enough in Connecticut back in the seventies eighties. And Mo, I would Mo, I have to ask, where were you while these killings were? <laughs> <laughs> I have no alibi for that night. <laughs> 
Uh, in fact, Mo, I have heard of that before, and yeah. I sort of expected this movie to be more of kind of a straight translation of that sort of story. I didn't really know it was going to be this kind of wacky, bad taste comedy. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it is really it was a surprisingly funny movie, uh, super goofy, and like I said, whole like almost wholesome. I mean, like honestly, you put this movie through the MPAA right now. What what do you think it's going to get? It's a, a PG thirteen. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, yeah. it'll get an R because they they bring a character in, in the last twenty minutes who does nothing but swear. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. That's true. But I mean, aside from that, like this, the the plot of this is very sitcommy, except for the fact that it centers around murder. Right. But but you know, one of the movies that Mo and I were talking about before we started recording was the uh, the classic comedy "Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead." That right. is basically a straight remake of this movie uh, mm-hmm. to the point where I could I I bet John McBride was kind of pissed when that movie came out. <laughs> like, hey, that's my idea. You're but right. of course, they added a lot of subplots and Christina Applegate, which helps. Oh, yeah. But they don't have Tom, and that is what I want to get at, Mo. They don't have Tom in their movie. We have Tom here today. So Th- therefore, before... therefore, we have the superior film. That's right. But we'll get to Tom in just a moment. So the film starts with a slow pan across a number of, of different tools. So, like, we have saws and wrenches, and it ends... Isn't that the uh, the main bad guy from Big Trouble in Little China? <laughs> slow pan. Mo. Slow pan. <laughs> I believe we've made this joke before. This yeah, I know, but all, all the classic. We're bringing material. out the classics. We're get we're getting to episode 100. We got to bring them all back. So uh, this pen uh, ends not on a wood chipper, but on a chainsaw. And in fact, it then cuts to a chainsaw sawing through a small tree. So we both we get both wood chipper action and chainsaw action. I was only... uh, thoroughly mm-hmm. disappointed that this was an electric chainsaw. Oh, right, instead of a gas-powered chainsaw? Yeah, there is just something about the way a gas-powered chainsaw runs that sounds so much better. Like, this, I just, yeah, I But I find it uh, oddly satisfying to see someone chop up a small tree with a chainsaw, Mo. I don't know why. I almost It's almost as satisfying to me as seeing a human body get chopped up by a chainsaw. Is it, uh, d- does it have anything to do with your uh, rural upbringing? Well, you know, I did grow up in a rural uh, community. That's a well well pointed out. But we didn't have access to a lot of chainsaws or really anything that had uh, like sort of motorized movements in it whatsoever. <laughs> I, I've never been close enough to a wood chipper to uh, know that it works. But I will say that this movie gave me a lot of information about wood chippers, including the fact that you don't want to put like meat or anything soft in it because it'll gum up all the gears inside. Yeah, I you know I on the other hand, uh, we had a wood burning stove when I was a kid. So most of my child life, basically from the time I could swing uh, an axe or a maul, we used, um, you know, until my parents divorced and I became a happy man. Um, you know, I basically every summer was consisted of splitting and chopping wood or clearing brush. And so so I'm sorry, sorry, you had access to a wood chipper during the time these murders were taking place. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I feel like this is going to be a more, a more, uh, uh, celebratory episode of 100 than we thought before. We're going to solve a murder. (laughs) I'm fairly certain that murder's already been solved, but... An innocent man in prison? (laughs) Let's get a Netflix documentary about this. Making of a murderer, too. (laughs) 
Anyway, we do then, Mo, in the film, see a wood chipper, and we see uh, some shots of the wood chipper in action, uh, spitting out what I would call little pieces of of wood. <laughs> yeah, they're the hell yeah, out of it. Yeah, they are not putting that thing through its paces at all. They're, they're like putting the smallest pieces of wood they could find. Which well, it makes... was legitimately a rental, right? They yeah, legitimately, yeah, yeah. for this movie, only had access to it for a weekend. So I imagine they were very careful not to do things like, like put meat in it so it right. would fuck it up entirely. Well, but they do put meat into it, though. Do they, though? Well, you know, that's the thing, though. I bet, I guarantee you it wasn't running when they did when they shot that scene. <laughs> so we get a point-of-view camera, and it's moving behind the guy who's uh, chipping wood. And we can see, actually, uh, because we already know what he looks like, that it's John McBride who's actually doing the chipping. He's putting wood into the wood chipper, and out comes uh, chips of wood. And then suddenly someone grabs his shoulder, Mo, and it's terrifying... And uh, uh, who is it? It's uh, John's dad. We should have mentioned that John McBride's character's name is John. John. Um, it's John's dad. Yeah, it's his dad. And he's just checking out what's... Honestly, I didn't quite realize it was his dad at first, especially because mm. their conversation is very much about how John has to get a bunch of work done while his dad is away. So I just thought he was, like, the guy who was employing John. Because right. when I see John McBride, I don't think of a person who's young enough to be like living at home i think of him as a grown man because that's right. how he was kind of presented in uh, cannibal camp out no you're right and they have this little uh back and forth why are you so jumpy you just startled me sorry i didn't mean to having any problems with it no it's pretty easy it shouldn't take me too long to get rid of all those dead branches so that gives you a sense they Honestly, uh, John's father is a super nice guy. Like he's, he's, it's the he is the nicest movie dad I have ever seen in a film ever. Like I would, I would murder somebody with a wood chipper for him to be my dad. Yeah, and he's like a businessman, but he's like he's totally decent. We don't know where John's mother is. That's never mentioned. Nope. Uh, maybe she ended up in a wood chipper a little earlier. And later in the movie, they just say she's away. They like if you if oh. you happen to caught that, like they uh, when when that sweary character shows up later, he says, "Well, where's your mom?" And they're just like, "She's away. Yeah, <laughs> she's away." So okay, let me explain the setup because we're just about to go to the opening credits. The setup is John has a brother and sister. The three of them are at home. Their father is going on a business trip. And they have left uh, his sister, their aunt, is going to take care of them while he's away. Even though John is of college age and seems like he could easily take care of his two younger but they, siblings. But, uh, uh, but they explain that, too. They do explain it. Yes, they yeah. do. By saying, well, well, we'll get to that in just yeah, a minute. Yeah, we'll get minute. to it when we get to it. I, just, I didn't want to jump that gun. I jump every <laughs> other gun. I figured I'd leave that one. So uh, I think they even say, uh, someone says, what could happen? Uh, which is a great setup to the opening credits, which say, Wood Chipper Massacre. <laughs> <laughs> Starring John McBride, uh, Denise Deal, Tom Cassiel. Anyway, these are that they use their actual names in the movie, I guess for simplicity's sake. A very small cast in this movie. Um, and very little uh, action is going to take place from now until the end of the movie. But uh, in order for us to keep track of how things are, uh, are, what things are happening and when they're taking place, there are helpful title screens which tell us that the immediately after the credits, um, it's Friday at three seventeen p.m. End of the school day, Mo. Indeed. And some kids are walking home from... I guess they get, actually they got dropped off by the bus, and now they're walking the rest of the way home. Because this property that John and his father are on, it's sort of in the middle of nowhere. It's very, it's very large, but kind of secluded. 
Very New England. Very New England. Now, Mo, what does a New England accent sound like? It sounds just like this. Oh, your accent. Yeah, yeah my accent. <laughs> A.K.A. there isn't one. So the two children in question are Denise and Tom, and they are brother and sister, and they will be two of our other main characters along with uh, with John who are going to be kind of driving the action. They're having a dumb conversation about who likes who at school. Uh, I guess Denise has a crush on Mark Taylor, uh, and she, she's in competition with her friend Susie Richards. Um, and then Tom says that I guess uh, Mark Taylor's younger brother is in his math class, and he's not. Anyway, this is a bunch of nonsense. But it does introduce us to these characters. Now, Mo, tell me about Tom, who is my favorite <laughs> character in Woodchipper Massacre. Well, Tom is also my favorite character in Woodchipper Massacre, uh, to the point that we, you know, every now and again, we like to mention that we can, you know, customize our own names, uh-huh. you know, uh, when we record. And my my name for this recording is Tom's Air Guitar, which yeah. will come into play later. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom is super nerd uh, in the best possible way. Uh, he's passionate about really weird things uh-huh. <laughs> like survival knives and and like hard rock music uh-huh. um he's gangly as shit uh which works so great like watching him run is the greatest thing i've ever seen and uh yeah i mean he's generally just a, a relatively cool cat you know he's he, <laughs> Well, you know, Mo, you might remember this. You know that awkward age, just as someone's hitting puberty or just before, where you're not quite a man and you're not quite a child, and you, you sport. Like me now? Yes, honey, like me now. <laughs> and you're sporting a bright orange mullet and gigantic glasses. <laughs> yep. And that—that's the mode that Tom is in in this film. It's amazing. Uh, and, and him and his sister have a, a quality rapport. They do seem to get along fairly well, and they have this exchange. Yeah, but why her? I mean, she's such a... Bitch. Tom, that's not exactly the word I was looking for. Well, it's true, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose so. Now, that gives you a really strong sense of what the acting quality is like in the movie Woodchipper Massacre. It is very much like it. It's kind of I would say like junior high play level where everything is shouted yeah. at all oh. times, especially I mean, from th- Denise. Now Denise has a very annoying voice, and again, I'm not going to knock people for having an annoying voice. You know, Mo, it's been said that I have a rather annoying voice <laughs> sometimes by <laughs> listeners of this very podcast. But uh, but in the case of Denise, she not only has an annoying voice, but has this habit of just shouting every line that she has. Yeah, and when she does, it's so shrill. Like it's painful, and like, you know, and I, I'm not one to call. I don't, you know, I don't go around calling women shrill. I know how annoying that gets, but you know, Denise is shrill. Yeah, why does why can't she just quiet up and take a back seat? Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, she just it's because of what she's saying and how she's saying it. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it, it is a a particularly obnoxious performance. Uh, Tom, I think, is actually a little bit more natural, but. I mean, that's on a very sliding scale. No one is very good in this movie, except perhaps for uh, their Aunt Tess, which is something that they actually are are talking about while they're walking home. Aunt Tess is the relative who's going to be taking care of them while their father is away. Yeah, on their way home. She's awful. Yeah, she's she's a piece of work, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. 
On their way home, Tom stops to check the mail. Uh, by the way, their mailbox is like a mile away from the fucking house. Um, but what is he looking for in this mailbox, Mo? He is well, he is looking for his Rambo survival knife. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he goes into detail about all the weird things it does. It's like listening to Ralphie talk about his Red Rider BB gun, you know. Uh, like, he knows every little detail. It's, it's actually really great to li- listen to him rattle off all the details, but I didn't write everything down. It's basically, he's, it's a Rambo survival knife. It's like a Bowie knife. Yeah, and he sent away for it, uh, and his yeah. sister gives him kind of shit about whether it's going to be like a super low quality piece of junk, but he's very excited about it. He wants it to be great. Uh, There's a great moment here. I don't know if this is what you're about to mention, though, but there's a great moment here where I don't know why they didn't just do a take two here (laughs) because there's like there are lines like full lines of dialogue between Tom and Denise that are just (laughs) drowned out by a passing car. (laughs) There is. I mean, and they're obviously recording the sound live and yes, a real car passes by (laughs) drowns out their audio entirely. But, uh, you know, it's hard enough to get these kids probably to say these words. So why, why give it a second go around? Right. So, uh, then, uh, we, we get to see a little bit more of the house that they all live in. We, we then get introduced a little bit to the soundtrack to this movie, Mo, which is diverse (laughs) to say the least. (laughs) There is, there is a synth, uh, kind of main theme to the movie, which literally, we're going to get to a bit of it in just a little bit, but it literally sounds like the demo key on like a Casio. Piece. It really does. <laughs> in fact, you know what? We're going to get to it in a second anyway, so let me just play a little piece of it so you can get a sense of what we're talking about. Right? <laughs> I mean... I would say not only is it particularly poor, but also really inappropriate for the kind of movie we're watching. Anyway, I'll cut that off there. Oh my god! Oh, I think it started again. It did. (laughs) All right. So uh, the the kids, the kids are home. John's, uh, uh, or all the kids, their dad is is about to leave. Uh, They talk about Aunt Tess coming to stay with them. Um, and dad, the dad actually feels really bad that he's not going to be around to help with the, the yard work, but he mentions that they only have the wood chipper for the weekend. So basically John's going to be left to have to do all the yard work before the dad gets back at the end of the weekend. Yeah. Uh, we do get, uh, uh some background on Aunt Tess here where Tom asks about whatever happened to her weird son. Did he ever get out of prison? Um, and, uh, John said that he never liked that guy. Uh, and that that is obviously a setup for something that's going to come a little bit later. Yeah, in fact, I thought that was like the main foreshadowing, you know, because they really make yeah, it course. feel like it's going to be, and it's not. But I mean, hey, whatever. So uh, Tom also, by the way, appears to be going bald at like eleven years old. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is the oldest, like eleven or twelve year old that you've ever seen in your life. He appears. To have like done some sort of weird vice versa body switch with a forty-five year old. Um, <laughs> he does want. He's a forty-seven-year-old little person playing yeah. the role of a preteen. It's like I was hoping that the big twist would be like that movie Orphan from. The- <laughs> 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 he's actually like a Russian little person. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Tom is obsessed with getting a 10-speed bicycle, uh, and his father believes that he's too young and immature for the bike. Uh, That will get a callback a bit later as well, Mm -hmm. much later, in fact. So then Dad leaves, 
and uh, the, that's when we get that uh, music. Mo, Mo, do you remember the music? It sounds a little bit like <laughs> this. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> So the, then the camera like follows the dad as he drives off, and it, it's really just a long, long take. <laughs> a little, little bit of filler in this movie that does not have a lot of plot to go around. I was getting uh, birdemic flashbacks. Uh, we, uh, we have Tom then in his room. We actually just get to see them kind of hanging out. He's like doing some writing. Denise is doing her nails. And then John McBride, the show-off. Starts playing a little piano, which, by the way, suggests that he can actually play piano very, very well, which makes the soundtrack to this movie all the more confusing. Uh, he plays a uh, piece of Hungarian Rhapsody Number no. 2 by Frank Liszt, and uh, if you don't know what that sounds like, you actually do. It's the part, uh, it's the song that's played by Daffy Duck and Donald Duck in Who Framed Roger Rabbit when they're having that piano duel. Oh, it's the part, th- it's the song that goes. That's exactly right. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, it, I, 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 I have to give John credit that uh, he's actually pretty impressive when he's playing this, uh, what appears yeah. to be a very difficult yeah. piece of music. Um, so something happens at this point that's actually really confusing. I, for me, it was. We see the dad, and he just stops in like the middle of a parking lot and gets out of his car. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And then we see him wait on a train platform. And a train arrives. What is supposed to be happening here? And I just—it just didn't come across to me—is that he's picking up Aunt Tess to bring her back. I—I I didn't think. I, I thought she was just going to show up. I didn't realize he was going to have to do that. But how this is presented is that's what we're supposed to be. Seeing. Yeah, uh, honestly, one more shot of just showing her getting off the train would have been enough to be like, oh, right. Train tickets don't come free, Mo. No, I know that, but you wait till the door opens, you have her step on, and then you film her getting on. off. I mean, come on. That, that is some uh, no-budget ingenuity on right? display for Mo Porn. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, then the father does come back home. He has brought Aunt Tess, um, and the kids are visibly not excited to see her. No. Uh, and at first, like, one of the things they reinforce is that she's, like, a wonderful cook and that she'll cook all their meals for them, and that's going to be a really great thing. Uh, and when she arrives, she talks about how the kids look malnourished. Um, and, she, by the way, Aunt Tess wears this ridiculous fake wig that does not look at all <laughs> like her real hair. Uh, I love her she, pants. She, yes, those are amazing. Yeah. Uh, and she, I think she gives Denise, like, like a game a of jacks. Jacks, yeah. yeah. Either jacks or like tiddlywinks, but yeah, definitely like like a you know, a game. Um uh, and uh, and dad then leaves and t- and Tess says that she'll have the kids positively beaming with good health in no time. Uh Yeah, my my, first... my Yeah, it's funny. My notes here say Tess seems like a kook, but well-meaning, which means she's yeah, probably secretly which means she's probably secretly a huge bitch. <laughs> I was like, what are these kids upset about? She's going to cook all their meals. I mean, you know what? An irritating person, you just just stay in your room or whatever. And but, li- uh, literally, literally seconds later, I, seconds later, she proves just how awful she is. And my notes go, yep, she's awful. Yeah. She, so what happens as soon as the father leaves? The uh, second the father leaves. She, she tells him to stop looking at, like morons and to take her bag inside. Uh, and then she... Um, and then she rushes past them to go inside. By the way, as she rushes past them, the the, the kids are visibly laughing at what's happening. On screen. So they're they're having a really good time. Not sure it was appropriate to leave in the movie. Yeah. At Take 7- twos 25- cost money. <laughs> Seven twenty five that night, 
Aunt Tess is saying grace. Uh, her food looks very interesting that she's cooked, Mo. What, what does it look like? Some kind of bullshit casserole. Who knows? It's it's just it's like an everything but the kitchen sink just thrown into a dish and cooked it's really weird looking it's really i think there's a pork chop there and it looks yeah. like there's a, a fried <laughs> egg on it <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> so she does uh treat us with a grace uh and uh, i have written it all down here because <laughs> why not it is something like save us from the power of satan and from the vile and evil thoughts that squirm permeate and gestate within our souls like maggots in a rotting and decomposing corpse <laughs> uh not the uh, not the best grace amo if uh, if you're uh, trying to retain your hunger mm. so they uh, the kids uh, have a little chat about the quality of the food and it sounds like this boy really looks like you've outdone yourself Aunt Tess. Yeah, you shouldn't have gone to so much trouble. Yeah, you uh, really shouldn't have. Well, you'd better enjoy it while you can, because I don't intend to go to this much work and effort for many more meals in this house. Yeah, she fucked up that line. Because <laughs> I don't in the movie. intend to. <laughs> it's great. Uh, yeah, so she's mean and she serves them bad food. Um and actually, later on, there it shows them like washing dishes, and she's just really pissed at all of them because they didn't eat enough. And Tom says that they're just not used to such rich food, and they get <laughs> they got full very quickly. They um like Tess is is very stereotypical with like the angry old person kind of thing. It's like every line out of her mouth is "kids these days." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, she's basically the. Uh, late 80s version of people bitching about millennials, that sort of thing. Back in my day, kids didn't have the option of being finicky. Um, Tom, uh, to interrupt her from being mean to them, asks how Kim is. Now, Kim is the son that uh, we mentioned briefly earlier, the one that was in prison. Uh, And despite the fact that she's hard on everyone else, she says that Kim is fine. He's just had some hard luck, but he's high-spirited and full of life. And once he finds his niche... He'll be fine. Uh, We're going to get introduced to Kim a little later. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Kim Kim is still my second favorite character in this movie uh, for reasons which will become clear once we we meet him. John comes down and he has a date. Now, this is what you were referring to earlier, Mo. The reason that uh, it was explained that that the aunt was going to stay with them was so John could go out and not have to worry about taking care of the other kids. Yep. So he has a date. He's wearing a Cosby sweater. <laughs> <laughs> a um, Cosby sweater. Uh, Aunt Tess uh, immediately says that his date is some sort of floozy who will try to take advantage of him. And then she says that he cannot go out. He, she, uh, she says that he is forbidden to do so. Um, and so uh, he instead uh, is going to stay in and watch a movie. Uh, and, and when he tries to protest, they're like, remember what dad said, because dad said they had to be nice to Aunt Tess, I will say that, you know, if I was of college age and I had a hot date, uh, which was not not my experience in college. Um, I never went and to my college, a, so. And my aunt was keeping uh, tabs on me and was saying I couldn't go out. I probably would have some words with her, Mo. I probably would be very upset, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, I would have disregarded everything she said after that grace anyway. So, whatever. Why don't you treat us to a grace, Mo? Like some of the ones that you experienced growing up. Uh, yeah, that didn't happen in the uh, in the porn household. <laughs> so later, the family, uh, uh, except for Aunt Tess, are watching a horror movie. It has some strange music on it. It's not actually a real one. I think they've recorded some sort of dialogue. About- Wait, does that strange music go something like? Boop, boop, boop. 
the movie that they're watching is obviously in some way patterned on Alien. Uh, they talk about, I think, xenomorphs on it. Uh, yeah. And uh, and Tess uh, wanders into the room and immediately starts yelling, what are you watching? And I think Tom says, brain-eating scum. It's great, though. It's hard to hear what he's Yeah, saying. this is another scene where, like, my notes literally here say, Tess disapproves, but you can't hear any of the dialogue over the movie. Yeah. It's so loud. So uh, this is this is the um, this is the part of the movie where John McBride is making a statement about people who don't like horror movies because Tess is saying that the movies like this make people crazy and opens them up to the power of Satan and then they start killing their babies and the kids are mowing their friends down with guns and John says that he has friends who like horror movies and uh, and they're perfectly reasonable normal people and she doesn't appreciate his tone so John once again holding his tongue decides it's time to go to bed. And yeah, Tess, and don't they establish that it's like nine o'clock at this yeah, point? Yeah, yeah. Because seconds later, Aunt Tess makes the other kids go to bed, and they're like, "It's only nine thirty. and they really, really whine. But then um, they they go upstairs and decide that they are indeed going to go to bed. I mean, I this would aunt, too, just to get away from her. Yeah, me too. I, you know, I of course, you know, I have access to wireless in my room. They don't have any of these kids. <laughs> late eighties. What are they going to do? I don't know. I don't know. Listen, listen to rock and roll music, probably. Do some wild air guitar while shimmying on a carpet. That comes a little bit later. So Saturday, yeah. it's now Saturday at eleven thirty-two a.m. We see uh, t- uh, Tom going outside. He's wearing one of seriously the ugliest shirts I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> he briefly walks by the old wood chipper, which I'm still waiting to kick into gear. Uh, heads down the street, uh, and by the way, he's not only wearing a really ugly. Uh, Oh, no, wait, sorry. <clears throat> Let me back up a little bit. Please. I, it's not that he's wearing an ugly shirt. He's wearing a blue shirt with blue jeans. So he's just this vision of blue. And I don't have written in my notes that he's wearing an ugly shirt. I'm saying he's one of the ugliest kids I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> there, he's just a supremely ugly young man. There is a great moment here where... Um... Is this the? Yeah, I think this is the part where this is the part where he's going to check the mail, right? Yes, he's headed yeah. to check the mail for his right. uh, Rambo knife. So there's a, there's a really great moment, you know, as it's as the shots panning with Tom, and then it lingers on the wood chipper for a second. That's great. But right before we get to that point, we see Tom walking next to a car, you know, or next to John's car, and his elbow goes behind his back. Just because of how awkwardly he walks. Uh-huh. And I legitimately thought that one of the crew walked into the shot. Until I <laughs> until I realized, oh, fuck, that's just Tom's elbow. <laughs> his limbs are, like, trying to escape. Yeah, this they're movie. literally trying to escape this movie. Um, this, uh... What was I going to say? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I was going to say that it's odd uh, for me as a Canadian that he was going to look for mail to be delivered on Saturday because here a mail isn't delivered on Saturday. Yeah, ours isn't anymore either. Yeah, so, uh, but uh, especially delivering packages, that's unheard of on a Saturday. So, Tom, you nut nut, you're not going to find your knife. And indeed he doesn't. He goes back home disappointed. And when he returns, uh, Denise and Antes are cleaning. Uh, Antes is complaining that the place is a pigsty. (laughs) She says it's a wonder you kids don't have hoof and mouth disease. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So they come in. uh, They are... um, Oh yeah, she complains that that all the people today want want a handout. Look, this I haven't watched this movie in weeks, Mo. You watched it earlier today. 
there's a great line here too. Uh, the classic, uh, you know, Christian line of cleanliness is next to godliness. And, yeah, and exactly. My God. So Tom- and she, she has a great moment too, where she holds up her glove, like the her, you know, her dusting glove, uh-huh. and it's just, it's just filthy. And I'm like, now there is a house. <laughs> <laughs> Tom arrives home, uh, and Tess makes, tells him to go up and clean his room, uh, and she says, I expect you to abide by my wishes. So she's basically like like a total witch. Um, and uh, she asks why John isn't helping clean. It's because he's in the garage fixing the lawnmower, which she uh, hesitantly accepts as an excuse. We then, by the way, see John fixing his mower. Uh, he's tightening the blade on it, so that's very nice. Uh, then we get what I think is a setup to the best joke in the entire movie. Basically, Aunt Tess is showing Denise how to cook a whole chicken. Um, and so she tells her, you know, have to clean, clean out the guts and, and, and how to kind of uh, chop it up. And Denise thinks it's absolutely revolting. And uh, Aunt Tess is making her, like, reach into it and pull out the guts. And Denise does so. She pulls out some very strange-looking guts out of this, by the way. Um, yeah, I, and, think it's, I think it's just a packet of chicken livers because yeah, exactly. it, uh, it doesn't look like giblets at all. Um, uh, but, but here, I want to mention here that this is one of the lines in this movie that I'm so disappointed that you didn't grab for an audio file. Cause it's honestly my favorite line in the entire film. So Denise being the teenager, you know, rants about how disgusting this whole act is and how she hates doing it. She goes, Oh, it's gross. And Tess goes to her and she goes, there's nothing gross about it. And like, and like, honestly, the line reading is Maybe the best line reading in the entire fucking movie. I'll tell it you is what, Mo. I'll so tell you good. what. Because you like that line so much, I'm going to snap my fingers and we're going to be able to hear it right now. <laughs> so I'm going to snap it right there. You mean they're still in there? In the body cavity? Yes. Gross. Denise, there is nothing gross about it. It's simply a necessary part of one of God's creatures. And there right. we go. <laughs> uh, by the way, as they're cleaning this uh, chicken, we see Aunt Tess take off her ring. And mm. that's going to be an oddly not really important plot point. <laughs> it becomes important for the context of it of the movie, but not right. in a way that I was necessarily expecting. Right. Later on, Mo, the, the most important scene in the entire movie takes place. This, the one that gave you your name in this, uh, in this context of us having this conversation... Tom is in his room. He is supposed to be cleaning. <laughs> but instead, he's air guitaring to heavy metal music like a fucking dork. Oh, yeah. It is epic. I mean, just... Like, how did you not gif this? You know, you gif everything. <laughs> and you didn't gif Tom air guitaring. Sometimes you gotta save these gifts for, like, when the episode gets really... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's got to happen. It, it was such. It's such a great fucking moment. It's uh, it's one of the best scenes in the entire movie. And then just like in that Quiet Riot video for We're Not Gonna Take It, or the uh, Michael Jackson video for Black and White, uh, an adult figure comes in and tells Tom to shut off his music. It sounds a little bit like this. I carried an M16. <laughs> <laughs> you 
you're all worthless and weak. <laughs> I want to rock. Anyway, uh, then she complains <laughs> about she complains about how filthy the room is, uh, and then she leaves. So he has to clean it. And he after she leaves, she goes. He goes. Jeez, what a space cadet. Yeah, like, like honestly, like the amount of like stereotypical lines they gave Tess is it's. I mean, it's almost dumbfounded because in this in this scene, she goes, "Idle hands are the devil's tools." Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but yeah, when Tom calls her a space cadet, I laughed so I had to pause the movie. I was laughing so hard at him. What a space cadet! So. Things are about to heat up because I've written in my notes at this point. When are we going to get to the wood chipper? <laughs> yeah. Tom looks out the window. He sees the mailman is delivering something. He runs out, slowly goes to the mailbox while the classic Peter and the Wolf music plays in the background. Uh, oh, which... this is the scene. This is the scene where his arms, because I put it in my notes. I know oh, okay. I put it in my notes. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So I guess his arm looks fucking crazy. In this his arm sequence. does. Yeah. But you know the Peter and the Wolf when it goes Yes, I was I am I am familiar with that passage. I'm just gonna let this go. Anyway. So he goes down. And he discovers that he uh, the delivery is exactly what he wants it to be. It is his Rambo knife. He's very excited. He goes, it came! Um, and actually, Mo, it, it looks very similar to a Rambo-esque knife that, a knife that my own father had in the late 80s, which is one of those ones which had like a compass in the uh, hilt of yeah. it. Uh, a survivalist knife with a compass in it. Because, you know, I was likely to get lost in the woods <laughs> all the time <laughs> as I was growing up. Yeah, I had a I had a very similar knife. Uh, again, bring, not to bring back the Boy Scouts again, but yeah, when I was in Scouts, I had a knife with a compass in the stock. Boy, I'll tell you, the Scouts—they really pump out the the best citizens. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, number ninety nine. <laughs> so he brings the knife inside, and I guess Tom just isn't thinking because he has to know that Aunt Tess isn't going to be happy about this knife. Yeah, why so, would I mean like any other kid in any other situation knowing how Tess is? Would have hid that shit under his shirt and ran it directly to his room. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's just, he doesn't even try. She, he comes in with the knife in his hand and she goes, What is that? And he goes, My official Rambo survivalist hunting knife. So Tess immediately demands that uh, he give her the knife. Uh, and she says that his father wouldn't approve. And then he says, Actually, the father helped him get the money together and I guess and, and signed off on him getting one but Aunt Tess doesn't care <clears throat> yep. so she says I want that knife Tom showing amazing intestinal fortitude says no bum, he, bum, he, bum. He, pro, he protests this decision and he they took, have, he took a knee <laughs> he took a knee and I, it can only be described as a small <laughs> struggle occurs between the two of them uh, we have Aunt a Tess struggle between Wes- an elderly woman and a prepubescent child. Yes, <laughs> really. I mean, again, it's it's really symbolic of a lot of struggles. I <laughs> they somehow okay. So this knife is unsheathed. It is a, uh, a gleaming new Rambo survivalist knife. They fight over it, and in the struggle, Antes gets stabbed to death with it. <laughs> yeah, w- one puncture in the gut, and she is gone. Yeah, so, you know, a frail old woman. Down she goes. Denise walks in and immediately says, What did you do? Uh, and then John also arrives, and uh, Tom explains, you know, uh, that she fell on the knife. 
Actually, I love Denise in this scene. Like, honestly, <laughs> like she she's pretty terrible through a huge chunk of this movie. But when uh, I, I think it's when John comes in to check check on the body and Denise Denise her reading of the line she fell on Tom's knife. It's <laughs> it's I mean just mind blowingly good. I I love Denise in this in this scene. So if this occurs in real life, Mo, you're there with some siblings, and uh, this horrible accident occurs, and you're struggling with what to do, and your college-age brother arrives, his suggestion would be generally, you would think, to call 911. And they do debate it, but then decide not to do it for reasons that are not incredibly defined, except for the fact that... I that guess all three says, children are fucking sociopaths, apparently? Yeah, like, they just yeah. say... they they. They say that they've never done it before, so I guess they just don't want to do it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and um, they... Um, oh, yeah. And so they they say maybe it's just a flesh wound, and then John is checking her on the floor, and he goes, afraid not. <laughs> <laughs> which which leads uh, Tom to uh, exclaim... We're finished now. We? What's all this we stuff? You're the one who killed her. Bystander, caught up in circumstances beyond my control. Besides, from the perpetrator, then you're both accomplices. Are you crazy? You're not <laughs> cool, guys. I mean, that, that, is... that, that cog of circumstance beyond my control is, uh, that's such a great line. Tom has all the best lines in this movie, too. Delivered in a way that only Tom can do. Yeah, right. Uh, so, John tells them all to cool down. He goes, wow, this is really a bummer. Tom says that he's really upset. He goes, Dad's going to kill me. And Denise goes, now you'll never get that 10 <laughs> And Denise is worried about getting kicked out of the Girl Scouts. Just, they frown upon members being related to killers. But I, but I think the, I think the, 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 the joke about John in this scene is even better, though. Because John's like, oh, my trainee didn't prepare me for this. And they're like, you're a music major. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the, they decide, I guess, that they are all in this together uh, because, as John points out, it was an accident and it could have happened to either one of them. <laughs> quite a, you know, they really do pull together in quite an odd way, considering that this is murder that has occurred. I mean, really, it was just an accident. It legitimately was an accident. If yeah, they were to call nine one one, like no one would would blame them for what happened necessarily. No. Uh, maybe blame the dad for letting the kid have a fucking knife like that. <laughs> so then the phone rings. Tom suspects that it's the police who somehow already know about the murder. <laughs> and John, being it's the fucking minority report, <laughs> <laughs> the precogs have picked something up. <laughs> Don't <right>. run. <laughs> John, being the responsible adult he is, makes Denise answer the phone, and it's their dad who is being a good dad and just checking in on things. Uh, and he asks to talk to Aunt Tess. And fucking Denise goes, the truth of it is, she's just dead. And he goes, taking a nap, huh? How long has she been lying down? And then she looks at her corpse and she goes, just a few minutes. <laughs> I told you, I told you, Denise is great in this scene. She's so great. I think I think it might be the dialogue and not necessarily her in this part. But well, still. She gets her moment in the sun in just a little bit. Yeah, so uh, the... He, she, he asks if John is there to talk to, and she says that John is outside mowing the lawn, and he says that he will be home tomorrow at 5. Um, 
<laughs> and then he goes, send Tess my regards. I hope she's not causing you any problems. And Denise goes, not anymore. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So she puts down the phone. Uh, it then rings again. She picks it up and she actually screams. She goes, "Hello!" <laughs> and it's it's, it's the precogs. It's Mark on the other end. Mark is her uh, her crush, uh, and he wants to know if they can meet at the movies. And um, and and she of course cannot because of the circumstances that are going on. <laughs> then Mark asks if he can come over, and she debates it. But of course, the other two say that he cannot. <laughs> no. So then these three very unusual children, they go out to the garage and grab a plastic tarp to wrap Tess's body in. Uh, and by the way, while they're doing that, they are kicking her corpse with their feet. It's very, very strange. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I actually really love the fact that, you know, so you've got a body that's been sitting on the ground stabbed to death uh, for a while now and no blood. There, there's not a drop of blood. That's right. Yeah, they they bring the corpse down uh down the stairs out out the out no blood. Everything they do, no blood. It's it's amazing. They're like Dex like little Dexters here. By the way, we, there's like people listening to this episode are like, "Okay, you know, when you guys are kind of focusing a little heavily on the setup here, there's like a half hour left in this movie. We're almost we're like halfway through. Yeah, already. yeah. I was gonna say, yeah, we're not we're not focusing on anything that the movie didn't focus on. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So they're wrapping her in the plastic tarp. It does quickly. The the they show us the ring by the sink that she took off. That's a detail. Um, and they drag the body. Uh, they drag the body downstairs. Uh, and there's a part where Tom goes, "I paid good money for that knife, and I want it back." Uh, so he's definitely focusing on the important aspects of what's going on. Mm-hmm. The three are sitting together outside. John seems kind of bummed. Uh, he even says, "This sucks." <laughs> there's there's actually a really great line here too, where they where they're wrapping her up and bringing her down the stairs. Where where Tom makes the brilliant decision to suggest, "Let's not tell anybody." Yes, that's right. Duh, well, that's that's I, this part. Huh? That's this scene that, that where Tom says that he has an idea. Let's not tell anybody. Right. Right. Uh, and and Denise then uh, comes up with the idea that maybe they could say that she just got a phone call and left. Right. And, who, and who's the one? Who's the one who says the line? Everybody in our family thought she was a pill. Uh, like that. <laughs> that fucking line made me laugh. I'm like, what kid says she was a pill? <laughs> well, you know, dialogue written by John McBride. Yeah, true. Uh, J- John says that he doesn't want to lie to their dad, and Tom says that it's not really a lie because she really did leave. So she just happens to be leaving this mortal coil, I suppose. <laughs> so John then uh, he 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 asked the most sensible question of all. Well, if they're going to say that that she just left, what are they going to do with the body? Because uh, as he uh, rightly points out, bodies are always popping up. It's hard to get rid of a body. Yeah, here's where we learn how sinister Denise is, because she's like, "Well, what about parts of bodies?" Yes, Denise mm. has a plan. She points. To the wood chipper. Tom doesn't think it's uh, it'll work because you couldn't fit a whole body in the wood chipper itself. Then John says, "Oh, it'll work. We just need to make a few alterations." So John, who at this point seemed to be at least reasonably sensible, is the first one to bring up the idea of sawing up the corpse of their aunt <laughs> to put into a wood chipper. Yep. So Tom has a saw. John has grabbed the chainsaw. And Denise uh, has a plugged-in, like, jigsaw. Yeah, and, jigsaw, yeah. And they approach the corpse, 
and they it, the movie cuts away before we get to see any of the good stuff. Yeah, they. I like how they all grab their tool and kneel. <laughs> Like, they all kneel out of frame, and, like, that's the indicator. Okay, they're all going to work now. But again, so, what, but again, when they're done, not a drop of blood in the garage. Not a, Nothing. Then we see the garage door open, and they come out with, like, a wheelbarrow. And this is my favorite line of the entire movie. Denise says... You know, Aunt Tess is right. Once you start working with the meat, it isn't all that bad. <laughs> 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 She's talking about handling the corpse of her aunt that they've chopped up so they could put into a wood chipper. Yeah. This is when John comes up with a uh, a pretty major concern, which is that the meat is too soft and it'll gum up the blades of the wood chipper. But then Tom, the little psychopath, he has an idea. So they put the body parts in uh, a fridge that they have in their garage. Yeah, and uh, there's a great moment here where Denise is like, well, man, I wish we had uh, one of those big freezers like her, whatever, I forget the woman's, the girl's I, I name. Susie is her friend. Yeah, like, Su- like Susie has. Goes, oh, well, don't tell Susie. She'll, she, you know, she tells everybody. Like this, yeah. like this whole scene, like the way they talk, like, you know, you know what it, it reminds me of, kind of, a little less psychotic, but equally inappropriate is um, like the way that, uh, that, they respond to anything happening in things. Right. You know, how, right. like, every time something happens, it's like, oh, we'll go eat some sandwiches. You yeah, know? right. The, the, there's a sur- it's almost an unintentional, surreal element, right? Right, it's just like, right. Be- because, in this case, because of the element of humor, people react not in any way like a real person would, but in some ways that makes it a little bit more engaging. Right. Because this, this then leads to Denise asking them if that's just what they're going to do now. Are they going to be people who kill people now? Are they going to be murderers? <laughs> like, like that's their vocation that they've slipped into. So now they're just going to have to kill people. Uh, but then they all agree that they are, are instead just ordinary kids who happen to be in a very extraordinary situation. <laughs> so uh, they have to wait a few hours until the body is hard as a rock. And then it cuts to later and they're tossing in body parts. Uh, into the wood chipper, and in fact, um, the parts that they toss in look like uh, parts of of a cow, I think. And yeah. we do, we do see them toss in uh, a very not realistic looking head uh, wearing the wig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, and it's and it's pretty it's pretty clear that uh, that for this scene, they're literally just uh, tossing the meat into the hopper. I mean, it's clearly nothing's on. Yeah, because uh, well, they do so, show some things flying out of the other end of the. Wood but they're chipper. clearly wood chips. Yeah, they're just wood chips. They don't yeah. look anything like uh, like like uh, organic matter. Let's say. Nope, not at all. So later, we get to see pigeons and bluebirds and a bird feeder, and this is very visible padding in the movie <laughs> Wood Chipper <laughs> Massacre. But then that gets us. It's basically uh, giving us the sense that time is passing. Then it cuts to Sunday, the last day. Um, and despite the fact that they had quite an eventful Saturday, Tom and Denise are just eating cereal. <laughs> uh, Tom does mention, I think, that he had a scary dream about his old science teacher, um, that he dreamed that he was involved with a government experiment and they cloned him and he started popping up in all of his classes and teaching every subject. Um, and Tom then openly wonders if their dad might have bought them anything as a present for when he comes <laughs> home. He, does, he seems very unconcerned about the murder that they all were, were part of. Yeah, they're these kids are sociopaths. They absolutely are. John comes down, uh, and he has some juice, and he tells them that he has to get some gas for the lawnmower because he still needs to do all that that 
yard work that he was supposed to do before his dad comes home. Um, and Denise briefly worries that something's going to happen to them, but uh, he's, she's reassured by uh, John and Tom, and they said, we don't have to be afraid of anything or anybody. And then yeah, this, the, yeah, this is it, a like classic sitcom joke setup, you know, because almost immediately we get a shot of uh, a car driving along, exactly, presumably heading towards the house, which of very course intense, it is. An intense looking man driving it. Yes. So uh, then John puts uh, the gas can in the backseat of his car and drives off. While he's doing that, Tom is washing some dishes. The phone rings and he picks it up and it's his dad. You uh, know, I and- was I was very upset. I think the scene that upset me the most was John putting the gas tank in the car. Right? You never, you never put a gas tank in the back seat because <laughs> it could just explode at any point. No, because there's fumes. Yeah, there are fumes. <laughs> it, it does seem like a very poor. Why didn't he put it in the trunk? That's you put it in the man. trunk. You always put it in the trunk. Or ideally, if you have a truck, you put it in the bed. But you know, you, you don't put it in the in the cab with you. For fuck's sake, John. So. The dad says that he finished up the work earlier than expected and that he's yeah. going to be back at 2 o'clock instead of 5 o'clock. Bum, bum, bum! That's right. Uh, and then he asks if Antes is there. And Tom goes, yeah, she's around. <laughs> but uh, And then the dad says because they were so nice, he's going to take them all out to dinner when he gets home. What a good dad that guy is. He's the best. So Denise, uh, after he gets off the phone, Tom says that, that the dad's coming home at 2. Denise says that it's okay. Uh, they'll tell him when he arrives that that the Antes left at one, um, and that she just thought it would be okay to leave John in charge for an hour. <laughs> and she goes, "That sounds plausible. Yeah, nothing can go wrong." And that's <laughs> when someone arrives at the house, and looks in the garage windows, and then goes around in the house, and he sees the two kids playing frisbee. And who is this character, Mo? Now it took me until the closing credits to realize what this fucking guy's name was. Because, like, I mean, Kim, sure, you know, but you don't normally think of Kim as a, as a, as a man's name, you know, whatever, it's fine, I don't care one way or the other. But, like, I'm like, is it Cam? Is it Ken? Is it Kim? Is it Kent? You know, like, I couldn't figure out what the fucking dude's name is, but it's Kim is his name. Kim um, is, is, this, is this gentleman's name. He is the son of Antes, the one who obviously has had some... Uh, run-ins with the law in the past. He has a great moment when he shows up where he kind of like, like, first off, he drives this really loud fucking car right up to the house. Uh Uh-huh. Then gets out and starts sneaking around. (laughs) Like, like, you know, and then just gives up on it almost immediately because, like, he, he gets in there and he peeks in the window, like you said, and then he sort of, like, sidles up to the side of the house and peeks his head around the corner of the house, but then just walks around the other side. (laughs) (laughs) So Kim sees the two who are playing Frisbee, which is really funny, actually. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And he he goes, Hey, well now if it isn't two of my three favorite cousins, um, and they seem a little upset to see him uh, for Mm. obvious reasons. He does very grossly say that Denise is starting to fill out in all the right places. That yeah, is it's your pretty cousin, gross. You gross motherfucker. Um, and he, he says that he's come there to see his mom. Um, <laughs> so, um, what does he say since your mom's dad? Who the hell is? Anyway, so he's, he's there to see his mom. He's trying to get some money off of her. They say that she's not there. Um, and Denise says that, that the aunt has went home. 
um, said that she got a call and left early, just like they're going to tell their dad a little bit later. And he goes, that doesn't sound like mom. She doesn't just pick up and go when she's supposed to be somewhere. Then he, he lets out, I think, his first expletive where he says, it's unfucking believable This fucking character is ridiculous. He swears... It's so strange because up to this point, there's been no blood. All the characters are incredibly wholesome. And then they introduce this character in the final, like... 15 20 minutes who swears in every single sentence yeah and it's like it's like like we were saying like this is a very wholesome movie up until he shows up and he shows up and it's all it's like literally the first time that there's any kind of like menace Mm -hmm. Uh, you know he's very menacing um but like yeah it's really off-putting that they waited this long i mean yeah they they quote-unquote introduce him early in the film like they talk about him but we don't know who he is you don't know if he's going to show up or not you know whatever um and they could have just as easily had him not show up but of course they needed 15 extra minutes to the end of the film it's just weird that a movie called woodchipper massacre got its r rating for language rather than nudity or violence yeah yeah Yeah, right strange so uh let's get a sense of what kim's performance sounds like this is a little sweet piece of dialogue what do you mean Damn! Well, I gotta go then. Shit! They're gonna have my ass on a silver platter for sure now. I can't believe it. <laughs> uh, so he asks if he can go in before he leaves, if he can go in and make a phone call. And when they they start to protest, he goes, "Give me a fucking break here, will ya?" <laughs> <laughs> so Kim goes inside. He makes a phone call. He's calling Sam. So apparently he has some sort of loan with like a loan shark. Um, and he, he's basically asking for a couple more days to pay it off. And when he's on on the phone call, he sees his mother's wedding ring on the counter. Now, I thought that this was going to kind of uh, tip him off that his mother was murdered in some way. Though I don't know exactly how that would happen. But really, um, he then changes his mind on the call. He, he tells him that, uh, that he might be able to come up with the money today. And he goes and asks the kids about the ring. And they just say that... Uh, that it was lying on the counter, that she must have taken it off. Because she was doing a lot of cooking while she was there. Yeah, and obviously he he just sees it as an opportunity to make some money, so he doesn't yeah. give a shit. Yeah. And they don't really give a shit either, so Kim decides he's going to sell it, and he goes to him and goes, forget about the ring and keep your fucking mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> but the weird thing is, that like, so he came there to squeeze some money out of his mom, uh, but, and he goes, but I'm fucked since she went back home. Uh, and But now he's... He's going to force the kids to give them money that is somewhere theoretically in the house. It's yeah, not a great. He, yeah, because his theory yeah. is every family has money in the house for emergencies. Yeah, that's what that's what his plan is. Uh, and Which, just they, for the record, my family never had money in the house for emergencies. We didn't even have money in the bank for emergencies. Yeah, when right. I was growing up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it is a very large property, so there probably is a little bit of money around. So um, Denise basically says that she'll call the police. Since he's trespassing, which makes him respond with, I've been being real good and holding back, but I feel my temper starting to reach the spoiling point. <laughs> so, what is it that you want from us? It's pretty obvious, Tom. He wants money. I feel my temper starting to reach the boiling point. <laughs> <laughs> so he just uh, needs cash. He wants yeah. money. Uh, and when they ask him what for, he goes, None of your fucking business. <laughs> He does like and, and, and yeah, honestly, like like between now and John coming back, it's just them going back and forth about money and him threatening them. It's like there's like almost nothing happens. 
It's so, ridiculous. Yeah, that's exactly right. So then John arrives home from getting gas. He uh, notices that there's another car in the driveway. He goes into the garage and is immediately hit in the face by Kim. Who he, he, I guess he has some sort of, of, uh, of stick. He just knocks him unconscious. And See, I thought it the, was one of those little, like, uh, like if you ever go to a ballpark and the, it's like bat day, they give you like one of those little novelty bats. It's like a novelty bat. Yeah, like that. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. So he knocks John unconscious. And when the kids are like, what the hell are you doing? He says this. Tell me fine. Give or take a couple of hours. Concussions aren't all that serious. Take from me. I had more than my share. Well, why did you do that? Just one little precaution. He, I love how he says concussions are not that serious. <laughs> uh, I, I, I like I like how they say he'll be okay, give or take a couple of hours. What the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> I like I like how he says that, that because he, concussions are not that serious. Uh, take it from me, I've had my share. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so John is unconscious. Um, Kim steals his wallet, but finds out there's only twenty dollars in there. But he says the credit cards could be useful. He says, yep. if they tell anyone about this, he'll come back and get them. He has lots of ways to make them suffer. Lots and lots. And they'll both wish they were dead. Like, how are the kids going to explain that there's no money in the house? Or, like, all this money has vanished and that John was knocked unconscious? Right? I mean, it's... I don't know what his plan necessarily is. Well, clearly, Tess went on a uh, on a burglary and, uh, and, <laughs> and, and assault binge before she left. You know, I mean, it, it all makes sense. So... If you're listening to this now and have never seen Woodchipper Massacre, you've probably already figured out how the rest of this is going to play out. <laughs> uh, Kim continues to threaten the kids. Denise says uh, that she can show him where their dad keeps the spare cash. Uh, they bring him into their dad's office, uh, and that, that he has like they say that the dad has a VCR and a TV and a computer, and he thinks that they could sell them. Um, and then Denise says, "Well, actually, he does have one thing of value that that could cost that could could bring him like ten thousand dollars." Yeah, the machine in the yard. The machine in the yards. Now I can't tell. I couldn't tell from this scene if this was supposed to be the kids being super clever or Kim just being super idiotic. But I think the kids are both. supposed to be clever in this. I think we're yeah. supposed to think that they they are manipulating him. Um, so he then demands to see the machine, of course. And they go out to the wood chipper mow. Bum, bum, bum. So Kim looks at it and he's like, he's very unsure if he can even get it out of the fucking yard because it's a wood chipper. Yeah. To answer his question, no, he cannot get it out of the yard. Yeah. <laughs> so Denise thinks he might be able to. She starts looking inside it and Kim tells her to get out of the way. He goes, you're blocking my light. And he starts looking inside the machine. And he, as he's saying that it might be too hard to get rid of, Tom then turns on the machine John, who is now recovered, picks up Kim's legs and dumps him into the wood chipper. Which, by the way, I guess it didn't gum up the machinery after all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do see, at this point, a little bit of blood squirt on the side of the machine, but not yeah. come out of it. And that is really the uh, all the blood that we get in this entire movie. Yeah, there's a little bit that gets squirted onto one of the gauges on the, sh- on the side, and then you see a little bit... Uh, smeared kind of onto the uh, onto the chute of the machine. That's really it, you know. So, just compare that mental image to all of the blood from that classic Fargo scene. Right, it, right. Yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, so there, so that's the little guy. There's a <laughs> so you were having sex with the little fella. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there is like a little bit of blood, I think, smeared on the leaves that we see a little bit later. But anyway, that that's pretty much the extent of it. So they murder Kim, and then they sit down afterwards and go. Wow. What a geek. Totally. <laughs> totally. They, as I mentioned, they say, I guess you can put whole people through this thing. And he goes, yeah, but it's messy. So then, uh, then just like a, a TGIF sitcom from the mid-90s, they have to... The murder is not important anymore. They have to clean up the yard before their father gets home at 2. They barely have any time at all. Also, they have to get rid of Kim's car... Uh, so their father doesn't ask questions about it. So what they decide to do is that John is going to take the car, leave it in the airport parking lot, and then hitch a ride back home. <laughs> While he's doing that, Denise and Tom are going to start on the yard work. Then when he gets back, he's going to help them with the yard work. And uh, they're hopefully going to get as much of it done as possible before the dad gets home. That then leads to a montage of that exact thing happening. John parking the car and hitching back is... See, now I thought, because they show... When John goes and parks the car, they show a shot of the dad getting into his car. Exactly. So I was sort of expecting it, expecting it to turn into, like, that scene at the end of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, where, like, you know, John's going to have to race through some backyards and, like, try Absolutely. to beat the That's dad exactly back. exactly what I... Exactly and it's not at happen. all what fucking happens, <laughs> like at all. He, he, John basically runs back out to the street after parking the car, puts his thumb out, immediately gets a ride, and gets dropped off right at the house. Yep, absolutely. Just <laughs> in, absolutely with more than enough time to help them finish <laughs> cleaning. Although watching, uh, I believe it's, is it Tom or is it Denise? I think it's Denise mowing the lawn <clears throat> is pretty great because she's just randomly <laughs> running all over yeah. the place <laughs> look it doesn't have to get done cleanly it just needs to get done it just needs to get like, done. part of the montage is just tom trying to start the mower again and again and again and well, that's a leaf blower yeah it's great though so john arrives home they uh while the others are mowing they clean up leaves as fast as they possibly can and bag them up they polish the wood chipper uh and they put away the equipment just as the father arrives home the dad is incredibly proud of all of them. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, there, my notes here, I, I just noticed I had a great note here. It says, Tom struggles to get the leaf blowers started. Denise starts it, which is funny. I said, it's all very funny, quote unquote, uh, dot, 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 for a movie that just featured a man being killed by a wood chipper. <laughs> These kids yeah. murder two people over the weekend. <laughs> yeah. And by all accounts, completely get away with it. It's fucking fantastic. Uh, the dad comes home and says that because of how responsible Tom was over the weekend, he's going to get that 10 speed after all. So not only have they murdered, they're actually getting rewarded for it. Yeah. Uh, dad accepts the excuse that Antes left early. Hook, line, and sinker has no problem at all with it. I like that there's a random dog, too. Yes, there is a random that dog. Sh that shows up and starts eating body parts. Yep, he does do that. Though we don't actually get to see what he's eating, necessarily. Yeah. Um, <laughs> John says that he'll, they'll be seeing Antes from time to time, which is a very lame line. And as that, uh, basically, the end of the movie is about to hit, we see the camera pan down, and we see her wedding ring on the ground outside the house next to a little bit of blood, which is supposed to be ominous, but, like, how can they possibly trace that back to anything? 
Right. Right. Exactly. I mean that that's no what someone's gonna find that ring and be like, oh, that's Antessa's ring, and oh, maybe she got wood chippered. I mean that's it's ludicrous, and I guess that's why we never saw a wood chipper massacre too. In fact, this is all about how three kids get away with multiple murders <laughs> without any trouble whatsoever because it was the 1980s. Yeah. You could you could commit multiple murders with a wood chipper in the eighties and get away with it. I should know. That's the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's the end. Like that's the whole thing, start to finish. Yeah, we get the end credits. They do that great thing, which I love in uh, end credits, where they put the the character's name in front of a small video clip, so you know exactly who played who. Yeah, it's um, the fucking sitcom ending. Yeah, it's a sitcom ending. And we do learn in the closing credits that that thrash song that the kid was air-guitaring to was called Grave of the Living Scum. Of course it was. It's also one other thing that's revealed in this closing credits that I thought you would find very interesting, Mo. Do you know what it is? You know I didn't read the... I didn't watch the closing credits. That the film was made entirely in Connecticut, your old stomping grounds. Ah, did it say where? It did not say where, but it's interesting, don't you think, Mo, that... Uh, that the wood chipper murder that you were talking about earlier also took place around that area. So maybe it was like, like as you suggested, it probably was directly inspired by it. Oh, I'm sure it was. It had to have been your murder that you did in the 1980s. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah back when I was six, that's wood chipper massacre from the year 1988. <laughs> I forgot uh, to, t- I forgot to tell you my real name's Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I, you wore glasses at an early age. Um, <laughs> yeah. My eyes have gotten better. 1988, Woodchipper Massacre. Mo, this was not the movie that I expected it to be. Uh, I expected it to be very much in the vein of Cannibal Campout. Instead, it's a fairly light black comedy um, that uh, it has very little violence and a lot of swearing, uh, but only in the final 20 minutes. It doesn't have much of a plot at all. I mean, you could summarize every single thing that happens in this movie in like a paragraph and, and not miss out on any details whatsoever. It's, actually, it's, actually, uh, before we started recording, when you summarized the entire film to me, like I, I, it cracked me up. Cause like you literally did it in like five sentences and you didn't miss, and you didn't miss a thing. You didn't miss a single thing. It was great because there's no subplots. There's no. like everything that we said obviously is what happened in it. So it's a really kind of strange movie because it probably should be like a half hour episode of some sort of wacky uh slightly dark sitcom not a uh, almost 90 minute movie that said i did have a really good time with it because oh i loved it i because it's so fucking goofy and because um and honestly we were due for a comedy that had some actual funny parts in it but i think it's the darkness that i really like simply because it leans into it so heavily it's just like these are kids they are committing murder and they are going to get away with it and not learn any lessons at all yeah, uh, honestly, like most of the movies we cover, I won't go back to. Like, even if I say I'll go back to them, I probably won't go back to it, you know? And I haven't. I don't think I've rewatched a single film we've ever covered. Uh, but this one, and I know I just said that even if I say I don't, I won't go back to it, I probably won't. But um, I, I, I could really see myself watching this again you know yeah. just for fun because this was it was a hoot it was really a, just a lot of fun to watch yeah it, it's a good time and again if you're the kind of person who's listening to no budget nightmares uh you probably already seen it but if you haven't already seen it it is the kind of movie that i think you can get a real kick out of it's a very easy watch i mean it has the same problems that so many movies have sure 
you know, the, 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 some of the audio is bad. The acting is fucking terrible. Uh, and you don't really have to worry about the effects work because they're almost non-existent. But it, it is trying to do something a little bit different. Uh, and and I applauded the fact that it was successful at all in trying to do something different. The, frankly, even though the plot, there's not much to it, everything moves exactly as it should, right? I mean, it's all yeah. organized in a really sensible way. And hell, that's pretty rare in the movies that we cover on this show. Absolutely. Woodshipper Massacre from the great year of 1988, a dramatization of the youth of Mo porn. <laughs> uh, that one's done, Mo, but that means that the next thing we have to cover is episode 100 yeah! of No Budget Nightmares, our special, massive, overstuffed anniversary episode, which has already started to be uh, put together, Mo. Now, I, I'm. I have a little internal turmoil here, Mo, about what we should reveal before we get to the next episode. We should reveal nothing. Well, instead of revealing entirely nothing, maybe we should talk about the structure a little bit. Okay. Okay. And just like, because we're not going to tell you, there is, we are going to talk about a movie on episode 100. We're not going to tell you what it is. No. We're, we're going to be talking to some very, very special guests we're not going to tell you who they are. <laughs> yes. Uh, at least one of these guests is someone that you would never expect us to be talking to. That's uh, real. That's 100% truth. Yeah. And I can say that at this point, we have talked to three separate people. I've talked to, actually, Mo and I have talked to two people. And because Mo was uh, off of offline entirely for a bit. I was, I I was being Irma'd. You were being Irma'd. I, uh, I talked to one separately. And all three of those interviews are fucking great. Um, what was I going to say? <laughs> I thought you were going to argue. It's like, well, no, no, not no, no, really. No, 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 no. You're absolutely right. I think uh, uh, the, the two that I've been involved with so far have been just a fucking blast. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, two of the highlights of my podcasting career so far. They've, it's just, it's been a blast. And the most recent one that Mo and I did... I have to say, it might be my highlight in the entirety of the recording of No Budget Nightmares. It was, <laughs> it, it felt like everything was leading up to it, and it delivered ten times more than I was expecting. Asking the hard questions. <laughs> Asking the hard <laughs> questions. Yes, indeed. Well, you have hey, to find out what that's so, all about. So, so you put you put it out there. Let, let's let's tease the audience a little bit. You put it out there for people to guess. Yes. Who 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 we've been interviewing with? Has anybody come even remotely close? Uh, they certainly haven't come close to the one that nobody would likely be able to guess. Well, I knew, I figured that much, but... Uh, I think some people have hit upon uh, at least one of the people that uh, that we're going to be talking to, but certainly no one has guessed all three, and in fact, I think our first interview, no one has touched on that one at all either. And fucking Robert Long, man, <laughs> do you remember what he said? Uh, who, who I remember that they, who was it? Let, remind me. Robert Long said, oh, I heard you guys are, are interviewing Don Doler. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I, just, I just wrote back, I said, I don't even know whether or not I should laugh or cry to this one. No Don Doler, no Joe Castro. We have said that in the past. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Though, though there were was a part of both Mo and myself that thought it would might be amusing to reach out to him. But uh, we don't want to be spending our next 100 episodes in the midst of a lawsuit. So we decided not You're to do watching so. a documentary made about us. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So, but uh, everyone else is on the table. Uh, and I do think 
I, I sh- yeah, anyway, I don't want to give anything more away. Yeah, be- hon- honestly, there is a hint you could give, but it would give it completely away, so don't even bother. Yeah, uh, anyway, yeah. it's going to be an opportunity for us to delve into the past of No Budget Nightmares. Uh, this is a real celebration of our entire history over the last six years, and mm-hmm. if we time things right, it should be coming out right on the uh, sixth anniversary. So, I mean... This is it, man. It's all been building up to this. And remember just a few episodes ago, Mo, where it's like we had no preparation going to this at all? Yeah. It all came together fairly quickly. It really did. And not quite in the way that I expected it to, if I'm being completely honest. Like, yeah. I mean, like, we, we had we had some ideas, you know, for people we wanted to interview. And then we ended up, it ended up taking a, a left-hand turn, you know, and becoming so much better than than what we even were hoping for. So Absolutely. like I'm super happy about that. I'm glad and really su I mean super thankful. Like I don't think I particularly I know you do on occasion, but I don't think I mention enough how thankful I am for the audience and our listeners and the people who we get support from, um, whether it be filmmakers, a, a couple in particular sure. who who have done an, a lot an, an absolute lot for us, uh, for, for the show. And, uh, I, so I want to put that out there. I want to say thank you to the audience and to the, the filmmakers, uh, in particular, uh, anybody who's ever talked to us, whether or not we've, uh, liked or disliked their movies. I mean, like even going back to our 30th episode spectacular that we did, uh, many, many moons ago where we got to talk to the guys who did Gorno and, and you sure. know, and like, you know, and like, honestly, like the fact that we've been doing this show for as long as we have and have only had one, I mean, one, we've been at it for six years and we've had one negative experience the entire time. Sure. That's yeah, amazing. I, That's amazing. Nobody does that. Yeah. We, I, we've been incredibly lucky. And honestly, yeah. it tells you a little bit about the ethos that goes into micro-budget filmmaking. Sure. Where people do not have that ego. Most people don't have a large <laughs> ego that they bring into it, which means that, yeah. you know, you can be honest about it. You can have... And honestly, people have a really good humor about their own work because most of them have either moved on to bigger and better films or moved on from the entire filmmaking process entirely. Right. So, you know, it's more a nostalgic thing than anything else. Yeah, and, again, and, you'll, and, you'll see, and you'll see some of that in episode 100 as well. And yeah. it's great. It's, it's great. great. So so we're telling you right now, episode 100, which is yet to be recorded outside of those interviews, is great. And it will be great. And it will be filled with things that are unexpected. And yeah. in fact, in four, the course four interviews, of... Four interviews in a movie. And a, yeah, four interviews in a movie. It's going to be it's gonna be a really long episode. <laughs> it's go, it's going to be long. And I'll tell you, we're not going to tell you at the beginning who those interviews are. So you're no. going to have to listen to yep. the whole goddamn thing. Mo, people are going to want to uh, subscribe to No Budget Nightmares on iTunes to make sure they don't miss that 100th episode. If they want to keep up on the show, what's the best way to do so? Well, I mean, obviously, they can pop on over to the Facebook and uh, <laughs> give a... <laughs> Hasn't you know, they can... that in a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they can, uh, you know, they can use the Google to find the Facebook. Now, pop on over to Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash No Budget Nightmares or just do a simple search for No Budget Nightmares and uh, join the group, join the conversation. That's always fun. You can also find No Budget Nightmares on Twitter at No Budget Podcast. You can find Mo on Twitter at Drunk on VHS, all one word. He, yep. he shows up every once in a while to catch up. Uh, you on know, the I more news. more recently. I have been more recently. You can find me on Twitter as well at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T I L L 
E-Y-Y. You can always find the latest episode of Nobody Nightmares over at dorkshelf.com. Uh, and you can find my other podcast, Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, over at ericrobertsisthemancom in early November. Yes, I am going to Chicago to interview Eric Roberts live at the Cinepocalypse uh, Film Festival. How fucking crazy is that? How it, fucking it, crazy? If I accept how crazy it is, I'll actually start to lose my shit a little bit. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm incredibly nervous about the whole thing. But, sure. yeah, it's uh, it's... It honestly, it's just opening the door that uh, Mo and I are going to have to be invited to one of your festivals, so we can talk to some low-budget luminaries in front of a crowd. And I would that, fucking love that. Do that screening of science craze that we've all been waiting for. Yes. <laughs> uh, but come on, uh, come on, man! Imagine that you, me, and Josh Johnson. Yeah, I hear you. We can make this happen. Come we on, we could. We could. Hey, hey, look, I have an in now, so I'll float that idea around. <laughs> Uh, Mo, have you watched any interesting pieces of cinema lately? Here's what I've been doing lately. Honestly, uh-huh. it's only only been the last couple of days, but this is what I've been doing lately. I have been reinvigorating my love for something weird video. Right. And so last night I watched probably, you know, it's 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 a lesser known of of their titles, but. When Mike, you know, may he rest in peace. When when Mike told me about this movie, he literally said two sentences to me that made me realize that this is a movie I needed in my life. He said to me, nothing at all happens. It's just destruction through the entire film. And they put a baby in a, in a trash can. And I said to myself, I need this movie in my life. And that was, uh-huh. and, th- and that was the movie just for the hell of it, which... It's, I mean, it's the perfect title for that movie because there's, there's no reason why they do any of the stuff they do. It's just for the hell of it. It's just for kicks, man, for kicks. Uh, and that's one of my favorites. Like that's, uh, like that's, that's a movie that I'll keep going back to over and over again because I love it so much. So I watched that last night, uh, when I got home from work. And, uh, and then today, um, I watched, uh, the Gorgor Girls. Because it's been a really long time since I've watched any HGL HGL films, and uh, you know, and I I I found my DVD bin, um, you know, because I have like seven <laughs> VHS bins, but I have one DVD bin, and the majority of my, which is actually half filled with VHS, um, and the majority of my something weirds are on there. I pulled a whole bunch of them out, and I'm. Basically, the next couple of weeks, I'm just going to go fucking crazy watching those. A uh, lot, of, lot of movies I'm super excited to revisit. But th- that's really all I've really watched in the last few days. I mean, I, I, and I know I've watched some stuff since the last time we talked, but I don't yeah, really I imagine so. Though you were without yeah. power for a while, which kind of made that difficult as well. Yeah, I mean, I, re- I did a full series revisit of Gravity Falls um, while, while my power was out. Because it's, it's, it was something I had on my computer. I, uh... I, I was recently part of uh, over at the podcast under the stairs, uh, Duncan McClesh's podcast. They had been doing over the past couple of months a best horror movies of the nineteen seventies uh, project. So what they had is five different podcasters came on, and they took two years each of the nineteen seventies. We would watch ten movies individually for each of those years. Mm. Then we would debate. Uh, just Duncan and that one podcaster for each one of the years would debate what are the best of that of that year and put two movies forward. And then at the end, after all those were recorded, there were 20 movies, the best horror movies of the 70s. And then this past Saturday, uh, we spent four and a half hours recording where we went through each year, 
and debated how they should be organized in terms of a top 20. And we put a ballot forward. So those are then now all listed. Uh, and there was a, an audience list as well. And then a combined list of both audience and the participants. So we've made a, a cumulative list of the best horror movies of the 70s. So I've been watching a lot of 70s horror lately, Mo. And I watched for the first time in a long time Ken Russell's The Devils. Ooh, uh, and I, watched, I love The Devils. I watched the uh, uncut version with the Rape of Christ scene nice. in it uh, and the ending with the, the shin bone masturbation. Sure, it, sure. That movie is fucking amazing. I mean, it, it is incredible. It's, it's so good. It's it's up there for me. It's one of my, it's probably one of my favorite horror films. Well, actually, with that in mind, Mo, uh, off the top of your head, say you had to pick three of your favorite horror movies from the 1970s. What would they be? I'm not going to hold you to it. Just, you know, it, it, your gut feeling about what they might be. Gut feeling? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Exorcist, obviously. Okay. Um, does Jaws count? Jaws counts, absolutely. D- then Jaws. Um, and I believe Phantasm was 79, right? Absolutely it was. Then, then Phantasm would be number three. Uh, some other movies that you might think about are The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Sure, sure. I John mean, I, I, like that, that one doesn't doesn't quite hold the place in my heart that's that it does some other people but yeah definitely it would make my top 10 absolutely dawn of the dead of course sure um deliverance is one that's uh debated on that show yeah i was gonna say that'd be an interesting debate but yeah i could see that yeah i mean it's it's eraser head uh um, sure yeah so i mean there's 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 a lot to talk don't look now uh, which uh, I watched just a few days ago. I also uh, recorded... A different... <laughs> I, hear, I hear your wife didn't care for the end of it. <laughs> she didn't care for the ending, or really much of any of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm I... not a big fan of Don't Look Now, to believe it, to believe it or not. I, I'm not a big fan of the movie. I also uh, watched uh, John Frankenheimer's Seconds uh, just yesterday for the first time in a very, very long time, and that movie is I've great. never seen it. It's really, really worth your time. It's, it's, like, yeah? it's, like, it's like a great... Twilight Zone episode, except fleshed out and uh, nice. and really well acted. It's just a really incredible movie, and it has some really really amazing camera work in it. Uh, but uh, and I watched Vice Versa, the Fred Savage Judge Reinhold, <laughs> one of the greatest horror films from the seventies. I legitimately uh, doubled up that double feature of John Frankenheimer's Seconds and Vice Versa, and boy, it's like a fucking case of whiplash. Um, <laughs> Mo, of those body swap comedies in the late eighties, which is your favorite? You know, I it's funny you would mention that because I actually own almost every single one of those. Like for a while that was a weird like tick I had was collecting those body swap comedies. <laughs> so like I own like uh like like he like she's my man, I think it's called or something like that. Um and vice versa, uh like father like son, 18 again. Uh, Dream a Little Dream, which, by the way, is my answer. Dream a Little Dream is my favorite uh, of those. And, and um, of course, you, of course, you could count Big in that as well. Sh- yeah, kind of. I guess I mean, Big is a movie that obviously it's a one it's a one person body swap, but yeah, it yeah. works. Yeah, I mean, if the idea is like a kid acting like an adult or an adult acting like a kid, yeah, that sort of shit. Uh, anyway, vice versa is not very good. <laughs> no, vice ver- vice versa is not very good. Like Father Like Son is significantly better. But, uh, and I don't like dream, that either. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but dream, but dream a little dreams my favorite of those. I watched eighteen again a shitload of times as a kid. I have no idea if that's any good or not. It's not great. I mean, it's better than most. <laughs> better than most. Yeah, oh, but but genre. but we're talking about a we're talking about a genre that is just full of terrible movies. It's true. It is. 
as as the great Kurt Angle once said, it's true. It's- <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it's true. Oh, and I did I did watch one new movie, and this is the last thing I'll mention. Okay, uh, I, I did watch one new movie uh, recently that needs mentioning because it was so good. I watched uh, Shot Caller. Okay, which one? Have Shotcaller is uh, the it's starring the guy who plays Jamie Lannister. I can't remember his name. The guy who plays Jamie Lannister on on Game of Thrones. Game of as, Thrones. What's this now? <laughs> oh, stop it, you! Uh, who plays like this guy who ends up going to jail and becoming a like a leader in the white supremacist movement, like in oh. in the jail, and like but works to undermine the entire organization while doing all that. I don't want to give too much away, but uh, it, John Bernthal's in it. Um, is that who is, is that John Barenthal? Yeah, John Barenthal's in it. Lake Bell is yeah. apparently in it. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 really it's it's really well made. I like honestly like like I thought like Kyle Poling from the Bloodbath and Boomsticks podcast turned me onto it, and he described it as this year's Green Room, and I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because Green Room is, I mean, like upper echelon shit, uh, but it's it's up there. It's 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 pretty pretty good. I would say that this year's green room is Macon Blair's "I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore," which feels exactly like Green Room because Macon Blair is obviously the collaborator of Jeremy Saulnier, who, played, <laughs> who did Green Room. But I am very curious about this movie. It sounds very tough. It sounds like a tough movie. I like tough movies, Mo. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of brutal death scenes in it. Oh, I'm sold. Yeah. Mo, it's time to wrap things up here on No Budget Nightmares. We all yes. need to get some rest because we have a lot more work to do before number 100 comes down the pipe. Uh, thank you all for your patience in waiting for this episode to get out. We're very glad that Mo was not destroyed and that his entire well-being and, and life was not wiped off the face of the planet. Because of the power of prayer, Mo is still with us. <laughs> <laughs> And because of that, we can celebrate a number 100 in style. Uh, we'll be back soon. Uh, yeah, you, uh, everyone just, look, here, I'm just going to put this out there. Go on iTunes, delete all other podcasts off of it. <laughs> Go on to your Android device or iPhone, whatever you use to listen to, uh, to, uh, to uh, podcasts. Remove other all other podcasts, every single one of them. Add No Budget Nightmares and just sit and wait until number 100 arrives. Yeah. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, folks.